Welcome to the Hazel Rockets podcast, the number one golf podcast for new product launches, interviews with industry experts, golf trends, and more. Here are your hosts, Jen, Ken, and Bill. Hey everyone, I'm Jen. I'm Ken. And I'm Bill. Welcome to this week's Hazel Rockets podcast, where we bring you all the latest news in golf, which isn't actually news, it's just stuff we want to talk about. Um, and we are going to dive right into some kind of fun things. And then we have uh, Tom Morton um, in studio this week to talk about, uh, basically we're going to talk about um, golf tips and lesson advice. So uh, if you need help with your golf game, stay tuned. Very good. What you, what'd you bring for us, Ken? I see actually before you get started, I kind of want to start with these because these are the most ridiculous golf shoes I've ever seen. For our listeners, describe these ridiculous golf shoes. These are... They're not are... really shoes. They're not really shoes. Okay. They're flip-flops. Flip-flops with... Bill, how many flip-flops do you have in your closet? Um, a big, fat, zero donut. Yeah. None. Donut. I've never worn a pair of flip-flops in my entire life. Huh. Not even once. I don't know if that's interesting to anyone. These are actually falling apart in front of me, but they're not. No. They are, um... They're just shedding. They're shedding. What What's on these, Bill? Are you going to tell people what these are, or you want me they're to? They're grass. They're real grass. Not real grass. Oh, they're not? They're fake grass. Are you sure? I don't know. They smell like fake grass. <laughs> <laughs> they're grass flip-flops. Grass flip-flops. How fun is that? Actually, that's probably what this GFF on the back stands for. Yes. Grass flip-flops. They're supposed to be incredibly comfortable. Are they, honestly? That, that they're supposed to be. Yeah, we have a few staff that own them that say they're awesome. Yes. They wear them in lieu of regular flip-flops. They're $19.99. They're super fun. They're grass flip-flops. They are made out of synthetic grass. All right, they're kind of like the ultimate um, uh, gift for under the tree. Kind of fun the ultimate gift. Okay. The well, that's a pretty low standard. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I know what I'll be expecting this year. Exactly. <laughs> Shoot, now kid knows what he's getting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, they're from uh, Grass Flip Flops. They're nineteen ninety nine. They're fun. If you have a golfer on your list, I think you should get these. Yeah. All right, moving on. All right. So I met with Tour Edge this last week, and they have a brand new line of exotics golf clubs coming out in February. So what do we like about Tour Edge before you move on? So I like Tour Edge because they have a lifetime warranty on all their products. It's all assembled in Chicago. It's a Chicago-based company. It's, uh, it's kind of a great American uh, self-made story. The Glaude brothers run it. Um, and um, they're a good price point. They're great value for what they provide for mm -hmm. sure. Um, they're good intro like introductory um, line of clubs yep. if you're just sort of getting into the game. All the, all the way to the exotics line now. That, yeah, that tour players playing. Yeah. There, so so and in, in, in the last year they have made a major push out on the Champions Tour. They have dozens of win this last year uh, with with people using their exotics line, and they're super excited about this new line. So. For those that are watching, um, you guys can see here a photo of the new Exotics 220 line that's coming. What's uh, it called? The EXS 220. So it is a triple carbon uh, tech golf club, meaning that the crown is carbon, which isn't 
uh, overly new technology, but they've actually put a, a carbon heel and a carbon toe to again to pull more weight out of the golf club and move back a very heavy tungsten weight in the very back of the golf club. So that's the first technology behind it. The second technology is a uh, really unique diamond uh, finish that's on the back of the face. Um, it has 42 different little di uh, diamond designs on the back. And is it really red and green like it showed in that picture? No, but it has that shows the different depths. So some of the diamonds are shallow and some of them are really deep. Um, and uh, that, what does that do? What they're talking about is it is enhancing the trampoline of the golf club. And they're going to be doing it both in the driver's fairway woods and in hybrids. Um, Should we explain to Jen what trampoline effect does or is? Or does she, do we think she knows that? I think she's jumped on a trampoline before. Yes. So. And what I'm happened? assuming that bounces the club. Yeah. And makes it go. We've yeah. talked about it before, the rebound. Okay. Yeah. And then the other big feature, uh, feature of this golf club is a sound diffusion bar. So there's actually a, a little um, kind of triangular a uh, little bar that's adhered to the sole of the golf club on the inside of the wood, and it's creating a much better um, All I can imagine is a so. sound bar underneath my television at home that that now golf clubs come with their own sound bar. Yes. Because yeah. Yeah. we talked about that before, too. Sound is important to golfers. I know sound's important, so I don't, get the sound, I don't get the sound bar. Yeah. Go into that more. So the sound bar is diffusing the sound. So with carbon uh, golf clubs, they have a unique muted sound. Um, it it mm -hmm. sounds diffused a little bit. And with this bar, they've been able to optimize it to make it sound and feel the best that it can. That's so intriguing to me that they have to do that. I mean, yeah. not, probably not just Tourage. I'm sure this is something done with other companies just to enhance the sound. Um, since obviously that is something that golfers look for. I mean, we've talked about how the sound is so important when, when hitting a, a golf club. When is this out on the market? February 20th. So easy to remember because it's the EXS 220. So uh, February 20th. So still a little ways out. We'll have demos and uh, golf clubs for people to hit in as early as in January. But driver, fairwood, hybrid, and then two different irons. There's a, a standard iron and then a hollow bodied iron that are gonna be coming out all at the same time too. So. Awesome. Yeah, we're excited to get it, put it on track, man. They're, uh, the MOI on it, the moment of inertia, is 10% higher than any other wood they've ever made before. Wow. So that's, and their model last year was fantastic. It was great, so, so yes. it's it's uh, should test extremely well. Very, very cool. Right. Okay, that's it. Anything else? Nope, let's no. bring it's on your, Tom. Yeah. All right. You want to introduce him? Tom Morton is a PGA Class A professional golfer, the director of instruction and fitting here at the Hagen Oaks Golf Super Shop. He's also my brother and co-owner of Morton Golf. He is a multi-Northern uh, California PGA Award winner and has won two national PGA Awards for junior player development and player development. Yeah. And when it comes to uh, leading our large teaching team here at the golf course, um, we have a great, great mentor with yeah. Tom. He, uh, no better provides, resource than Tom. Yeah, yeah, he is one of the best. So uh, without further ado, please welcome Tom Morton. Welcome back. We are excited to have another great guest speaker on Hazel Rockets today. Uh, we have Tom Morton, who uh, you'll recognize by that last name 
is part of the family. Um, Tom just recently won a couple of awards from the Northern California PGA, and without completely putting you on the spot and embarrassing, maybe tell everybody kind of what those were, Tom. Yeah, no, recently I was really honored to receive a couple of awards. They were the Horton Smith Award and the Bill Strasbaugh Award. Now, and for people outside the golf industry, those right. are a couple of names they may not recognize. Yeah, very well-known people in golf that... Um, you know, specifically the awards are about giving back to education for the PGA and then also kind of helping your fellow PGA professional in their careers and uh, helping them to move forward in some way, shape, or form. So, um, you know, two awards that are near and dear to my heart, helping people and education. The education piece, I know you have put on a education, a two-day education piece for the Northern California PGA for the better part of close to two decades, right? Maybe give a little glimpse on kind of what that is. Yeah, a little bit over actually two decades now. I think this yeah. is maybe our 22nd wow. coming up uh, early January. And we have, it's a, called the Northern California PGA Player and Teacher Development Forum. And we bring kind of, we've mimicked the National Teaching and Coaching Summit uh, where we bring in the best of the best, both some local, but a lot national. We've had Butch Harmon there over the years, the Hank Haney's, Chuck Cooks, I mean, you name it. Um, we've had them there to sort of you know, talk about what they do in the world of coaching and teaching. Uh, and then we usually have about 150 to 200 of the Northern California PGA and LPGA professionals in attendance to basically just, you know, fill up their toolbox. Wow. Who do you have scheduled for 2020? So we have Todd Sones coming in from Chicago. Okay. Uh, we have Rick Murphy coming in from the East Coast. Uh, and then locally, um, one of the, actually in Southern California, she is, uh, I believe this year for the first time, a top 50 teacher coming in from the Southern California section. Her name is Allison Kurt. And then lastly, our Northern California PGA Teacher of the Year um, works out of the Pebble Beach Golf Academy. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I thought uh, our listeners and viewers might like getting some golf tips from you sure. since you are a uh, well-renowned <coughs> uh, golf professional here in the uh, um, Northern California region. And so I thought I would dive in on uh, some of the top questions that we get. Um, and see if you might give us some sure. um, advice on them. Um, and my first question is, what golf tips would you give to the beginner golfer? So, you know, I think a great way to start for someone when you're kind of in that newish stage or even beginner is really to stay focused on, you know, some key fundamentals and certainly, you know, how we hold the club with the grip. It's our only connection to the golf club, so super important we have, um, you know, that fairly dialed in. Our posture, how we set up to the golf ball is really important to be as athletic as we possibly can be and then certainly our kind of alignment um, to our target so most often people get you know really right or really left to their target and although they consciously don't recognize it subconsciously the brain does and so it starts adding in these nuances in the swing to compensate and that creates a lot of the issues that we see so if somebody really could spend their you know first few months only focused on the fundamentals of kind of set up grip and so on and so forth they would build out a wonderful foundation for someone to really help them down the road so with posture i mean should you be standing up super straight should i mean where mm -hmm. should that should people be turning to youtube to look at um, videos on that i mean my next question was going to be um you know should people invest in golf lessons is that uh where you should be starting uh your investment in the game I I believe so. I mean, I really think that sometimes it can be scary for someone to come, you know, I've, I've heard this and I, it strikes me as funny, but a lot of times we'll hear a new golfer say, I got to practice so that I can come take a lesson. 
and like they feel like they're not good enough to take a lesson, well then they might be building in bad habits, bad habits. before they do that. So I think it's important up front to do that and to right up front have the conversation with your golf professional about what are your goals in the game, right? Are you the player that they're really gearing up to play in that tournament scramble every year and they don't want to embarrass themselves? That looks different from I'm a 30 handicap and I want to become a 15 handicap. So let the golf professional build out the plan for you and then, you know, slowly but surely build out the goals that match that and, you know, work the plan. And I think that is such an important piece of this is, I mean, regardless of what you're doing, you always need a plan. I mean, you know, if you're just out there hitting balls, if you're just out there, whatever you're doing, there's no... I'm making a big statement here, but I'm going to say there's no value in that unless you're out there with a plan. If you're not out there with a focus, then you're kind of wasting your time. Um, you know, if you're not out there, if you're just out there taking lessons or if you're just out there hitting balls, um, really, what's the goal in that? And, and unless you're there with your coach, unless you're there um, with an action plan, um, I think that's a really important piece. Yeah, I mean, I think if uh, you overlay it on other sports or other things people do, I mean, Typically, when you go to the gym, you have a plan, right? You're, okay, I'm going to do cardio for this long, and I'm going to do weights, and there's a purpose to why you're doing what you're doing. When you're working on your golf game, it should be no different, right? You have a plan of why you're going to the range and what you're going to do at the range and why you're going to work on putting and chipping. And, um, and then having some metrics around, you know, am I getting better? You know, are people, I don't think, spend enough time tracking some other statistics. And even at the most basic level, because you can get really you know, out there and track things to the nth degree, but even just basic stuff on, you know, how many putts, how many up and downs, how many greens are you hitting, how many fairways are you hitting, and, um, you know, giving some insight into that to your golf professional is really important so that, let's say you're working on your putting, both in kind of long putts, short putts, getting some data so that are we getting better in that space, and so when we're practicing, we know we are getting better. Right. Tom, you've been on the Player Development Council for the <coughs> National PGA and have worked with current uh, President Susie Whaley on mm -hmm. that. I know that uh, Canada's Player Development Program and the Olympic Player Non-Golf Development Council has been involved in some of that development. What are some of the kind of best practices that you've learned from those that would apply to this group of golfers that we're talking about? You know, the really what we've, I think the takeaway from that is, you know, first and foremost, it's, you know, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, it takes, you know, a while and, um, you know, you got to really do things correctly and, and practice and work the right way. Um, but that it's really, at the end of the day, number one, have fun with it and understand the science of learning, right? When we talk to the golfers, it's really, you know, we start calling them, we want them to call themselves a learner because whether we're, you know, working on golf or you're doing something with school or whatever you're learning, learning is learning and all the information and research around that applies. And so um, we really want to get the golfer to understand how to get better by the way they go about it and have really a, you know, structure and proper format that they have when they're working on their game. And um, you can really, you know, spend tons of information or time and find the information on those topics. But uh, something that, you know, as you stated, you're sort of, you know, just out there swinging a club and staying loose rather than really moving yourself forward if you're not doing it in a, you know, the correct way. Other athletic movements <clears throat> um, and other activities that you're doing play a role in this. Also, I know it's changed how we go about our own junior programs sure. here, too. 
maybe expand upon that too. So on the you know the youth side of things, it's really um, you know putting the child into you know you have to look at both their chronological age as well as their developmental age and fit them into sort of these different stages of time and development and make sure that the what they're doing is appropriate. Kind of approximately from that zero to twelve range, the most important thing is that the children become physically literate. And you know just like obviously reading literacy. So too, children, unfortunately, in this day and age, aren't becoming physically literate. Probably a lot to do with you know video games and all the stuff that kids are being. So that's an interesting term. Before we even move past that, physically <coughs> literate. What do you mean by that? So <coughs> it's about you know the children learning to move in space, learning to move on you know ground, in water, on snow, in sand, in all the different areas that we might encounter. If you can get to move your body. Uh, athletically in those different spaces, um, you know, you're really going to have a best chance to be the best athlete you can be, which if golf is your sport, then you're going to have that opportunity. Um, and so, you know, like in our programs, we spend, you know, a third of the time in every program working on stuff that might not look just like golf or, you know, hopping, skipping, throwing, kicking, and doing all sorts of different things. Um, to get them to learn those movement patterns. And I want to touch on that a little bit more because I feel <coughs> like so many sports in this day and age um, really try to uh, get the child to commit to it at a younger and younger and younger age um, versus, you know, when we were kids and it was like um, you played this sport in the summer, then you switched yep. to that sport in the winter, and then yep. you did this sport and, you know, in the spring and now you know it's like comp soccer you do that all you know for the full year and then it's like that's it um do you think that's benefiting kids or hurting kids um to um have the specialization at such <coughs> yeah. a young age it is a hundred percent hurting children both i would agree like, with you on that not only in their performance but actually physically hurting them because they're making the same movements over and over and over again and it's the reason why if you take even like a baseball kids are having Tommy John surgery in their teens sometimes because they're just blowing out their arms because they're doing it too repetitive, right? So, you know, if you look at... And, and uh, going on that, I mean, they're building certain muscles correct. to the detriment of other mm -hmm. of the helper muscles, yeah. and then the body just can't take that after a while, correct? Correct. And so, you know, that's that physically <coughs> literate term really is really important. And the multi-sport, if you look at... A few years ago when Ohio State won the national championship, uh, Urban Meyer, who was coached in the team at the time, said that of his 47 players, 42 played multiple sports in high school. Last year in the, or in the last Olympics, the United States, 70% were multi-sport athletes. Um, if you look at um, uh, Wayne Gretzky, who really has shed a lot of light into this, that he used to you know, play hockey in the winter and then hang up his skates and play other sports. You know, he did quite well. Last year's U.S. Open, or this year's U.S. Open winner, Gary Woodland, golf was his third sport. He actually was a really good basketball player, and I think maybe with baseball was his other sport, and sort of golf was his thing, was his last last thing he got into, just won the U.S. Open. And I know your your kids um, especially play quite a few different sports yeah. for that very reason. My kids well. love sports, and so, you know, we are big proponents of letting them, you know, play it in the season, and then if they want, hang it up, play something else. And, um, you know, the last few years I have been, you know, fortunate to be around a lot of the uh, smartest people in the world in regard to developing athletes. And to the person, they talk about how, you know, it's really, they use this term, it's unethical for these organizations and coaches to do this all year and claim that this is the right way 
and you know the way they're going to get there because it just isn't and there's no research that supports that that's the case and um, if you look into golf even two of the best golfers of all time Greg Norman and Annika Sornstam didn't actually start playing the game of golf till around the age of 16. Wow. But they did all these other sports and they got in and obviously used that and then got serious about it and became good really fast. If you look outside golf, the uh, like world of soccer outside the U.S. program, for kids up until 12, 13 years old, it's not about games. It's, it's not. not about right. soccer matches. It's about just developing yep. foot skills and all that kind of stuff. And Yet in golf, Mm-hmm. We've got you know tours for kids starting at the age of seven and that kind of stuff, yeah. and I think this leads into that too a little bit is, you know, how much is too much at an early age for aspiring youth golfers? And I and I and I'm gonna say I mean it's not just golf. I mean it's the it's soccer, it's baseball, it's basketball, it's, every sport. it's all yeah. sports. Yeah. And I think that's where you were leading to with our, um, with our programs that I kind of got you off track with, with yeah. the ho- uh, with the hopping and the skipping and the jumping, yeah. and then asked you to go in on well, more. Well, the so. fascinating thing is, you know, in every country but United States, government controls sport. And so the government mm-hmm. says to the sports and says, okay, you know, if we're going to help fund you, you need to have a A to Z, you know, appropriate research development model. And again, in the United States, that doesn't happen. So you get all these people that are attempting to fill gaps in and around the sport, and it certainly becomes about money right. and about um, you know cashing in. And so, if you have children doing with you all year round, you're going to make more money. But it's not appropriate for the children. I mean, if you look at in the last Winter Olympics, I believe it was Norway, that really you know the small country just completely uh, beat up on everybody else in terms of medal count. And if you look at what they did, because they came out with it, as uh, Ken was alluding to. They actually do not allow any of the sports to keep score till about the age of 13. And if you do, like if you do and you make it about that, they actually will shut down the funding to your sport. And so it's all about skill development. It doesn't mean they're not playing games. They might be scrimmaging and doing that. And of course, children in their heads, you know, oh, I, you know, I won, but it's not official. There's no records. There's no leagues like that. It's about skill development and learning the correct way and building out the athlete. And around those early teens is the appropriate time to start infusing in wins, losses, and learning that part of it, right? You shouldn't worry about that at age seven. So how does that apply to golf then with wins and losses and keeping score and all that yeah. stuff? So, you know, there's, if you take some of the different tours for young younger kids, to me, you know, when I've caddied for my children in that, and, you know, I'm still a little bit torn whether even to let them play and that kind of stuff because I don't, you know, I, I don't know if it's even super appropriate, but when we've done it, it's all been about, you know, today we're going to focus on, you know, maybe their routine and their swing. And so our goal is to see if, you know, in this case, Evan could have, you know, go through his routine on each and every shot. And that's a win. That's a victory. Mm-hmm. And things like other parents would look at me like I was doing something weird in that I remember specifically on a shot, um, you know, I asked him what club he thought and he was, you know, determined that it was a nine iron and I knew there was not a chance he could hit it that far and you know the parent I think was nearby listening and so I you know Evan are you sure it's a nine iron oh yeah dad it is so okay so I let him hit it he hit it great and it looked like it was gonna be a great shot and then poof it lands like 10 yards short of the green and so you know I'd ask him okay what'd you learn from that and then we you know he talks through that we use it as learning it's not about that I'm just gonna give him a club and there's no learning and then he hits it on the green and maybe makes par birdie and thinks he's doing great when he's not getting better. So, um, you know, let kids make the mistakes. As we know, failure is the best way to learn. And 
you know, if you do it that way, rather than worry about the wins and losses and the medals and all this sort of thing, you know, yeah, I think that's the best. In fact, um, at last year's teaching forum, we brought the head coach of Stanford University in to talk to the golf coaches about, you know, what they look for. And interestingly enough, you know, and they're one of the best programs in the country, he talked about, look, we're going to find them. Like, don't worry about that. Like, we will find them. He's like, they don't need to be playing these high-level tournaments, you know, very quickly. Like, let it play itself out, and, you know, mid-teens, late-teens, if it's appropriate, okay. But if they can shoot great scores, we'll find them. You know, don't worry about it. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, I want to move past the kids and Mm -hmm. go into kind of the adults that are looking to improve their game, that are listening in today and saying... You know, what tips do you have for me out on the golf course? Um, What's so what advice can you give for um, the golfer who is out on the driving range? Who's like, you know, what can I be doing out here today (coughs) to improve my golf game? Yeah, I mean, golf is, you know, in many ways, it's it's a odd sport in that it's one of the only sports when you train mostly, you're doing it not on the field of play, so to speak, right? Um, you know, driving range looks nothing like a golf course. So, you know, that's called transfer training. A lot of times you hear the golfer saying, hey, I'm hitting balls three, four, five days a week, but I'm not getting better. I'm not improving. It's because they're not overlaying what it looks like on the golf course to that practice session. So my advice is, you know, on anything they're doing in practice, but specifically the driving range is go through your routine. If, you know, people, whether they know or not, typically have a routine, and I, I think we're going to go back okay, to that. Okay. Um, go through your routine, have a specific target each time, and, you know, take each shot as though it's meaningful, meaning outside of kind of warming up, which is that's all you're doing, the moment that you want to actually care where the golf ball goes, begin to go into this kind of practice. And so there's different ways to practice. There's what's called, you know, block practice and sort of random practice and then sort of gaming practice. Well, block practice might be that you're working on your grip and so you're only focused on that. You know, you're hitting shots, but you don't really pay attention to what's going on because you're just focused on being aware if you're doing what you want to do. The stats show maybe 10% of the time that's okay to be practicing like that, but 90% of the time you should be practicing both in this randomized fashion where it's a different target each time, maybe a different club each time, going through your routine and the random practice can be, you know, including games of maybe you're on the putting green and you put, you know, eight balls in a circle around the hole and can you make eight in a row without missing? And if you miss, start over. Each putt's different around the hole and you're challenging yourself. So that's a great random thing. The interesting thing is uh, Dr. Robert Bjork of UCLA, he's in charge of the Learning Forgetting Lab, is kind of the leading researcher in this area. And when I asked him about the 10%, he said, you know, really the 10%, there is no research supports that any block practice actually makes you better. The only reason why he kind of throws in the 10% is because it builds confidence with the golfer. Because if you're doing it the same thing over and over again, it looks like you're getting better. And so it propels them to want to do more. So that's where it has some value. But truth be told, block practice doesn't do anything for you. It really needs to be in this random practice. You can also overlay onto that sort of something called spacing, which is that let's say the golfer has an hour to practice. Most of the time they're gonna go oh, 50 minutes to the range and then I'll go maybe putt and ship for 10. You'd be better off actually like hitting balls for 15 minutes, then go putt for five, chip for five, go back to the range for 10 minutes and kind of bounce back and forth. 
and that spacing, what that does, it causes the brain to have to go retrieve the information that you just were doing 10, 15, 20 minutes ago and pull that back. And that helps long-term learning and sort of moving you forward. Seems similar to when you go work out at a gym, how mm -hmm. you should be going around and doing different things to help. Yeah, because uh, like, you know, people talk about, you know, when kids are heading to college, they talk about, you know, pick that time every day that you study, go to the same place and do all these things. None of that is actually true. They right. should actually change places, change times, change environments, and do that because it actually will help the brain hold on information longer. Yeah. 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 One of the drills we used to do as kids was actually when we get to the driving range is actually play golf from the fitting yeah. stall. So you hit a driver. If you hit it well, imagine you've got a seven iron in. Go grab mm -hmm. your seven iron, hit to the seven iron target. And if you hit that sideways, then you have to hit a pitch. And literally right. imagine like you're playing a golf course right on the driving range. Absolutely. Yeah. So what about, you talked about routine at the beginning of yeah. that, so can you go into more depth on, on what you mean by that? Yeah, we really love, and I invite certainly any of the golfers watching to go look at a group called Vision 54. Um, two ladies, Pia Nelson and Lynn Marriott, um, you know, two of the best coaches in the world, um, have developed kind of a neat process to go through your routine, and they call it the you start in the think box, then you move into the play box, and then you finish up in the memory box, and sort of the... What that means is the think box is we're behind the shot, we're really developing what we want to do, you know, we're thinking through the plan, so to speak. And then as you enter into the play box, sort of there's this imaginary line that you have to, you know, commit to your shot. And once you cross that line, it's all about, you know, committing to it and being the moment of just playing the shot without letting anything else come into play. And then once you hit your shot, you kind of move into the memory box, which is putting the shot into three categories, either great, good, or good enough. Right? There is not a negativity because, fascinatingly enough, too, when athletes or anyone gets negative and starts using negative terms, the body actually releases a chemical inside of you which hurts performance. I mean, it's actually a real thing that happens. It's not just an attitude thing. So and the more you release that chemical, it takes about eight hours of uninterrupted sleep to get rid of it. So you know, if you're starting on a hole one or two, you're going to be in trouble the rest yeah. of the round. So the memory box is about, okay, you've, you've seen it, you take what you need from it, learn from it, and then maybe do something to get you in a positive frame of mind to move to the next shot. Um, and so kind of this you know, process, within the process, it's really individualized, right? You might choose to take one practice wings, two practice wings, and you might have a, a keyword that you use that fits the golfer. So you can individualize it, but sort of that's sort of the premise and a great way to go about your routine. Very cool. Um, I'm, you know, I, I had a whole ton of questions for you and I'm actually think I'm going to invite you to come back. Um, so I'm going to end with one more. Um, and that is, we talked about, you know, going to the golf course, practicing at the driving range. Can you practice at home? Is sure. there stuff you can do at home to improve your golf game? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things you can do during, let's even call the off season when especially the weather might not be as good yeah, and people want to do it at home. And there's people listening to us in, in uh, where it's snowing right yeah. now, they don't have access to a yeah. golf course, what, what can they do? So, you know, a great time certainly to work <coughs> on the, your, maybe your physical attributes, right? Because uh, the swing will go and kind of the body goes in the path of least resistance. So if there's some things going on with flexibility or mobility and those kind of things, you know, the swing won't want to change. So maybe you have a plan and maybe you work with somebody that, whether it's a trainer or a physical therapist, that you can have a plan. That's a great thing to do in the off season. You can, you know, work on, some people put up like a big mirror in their garage and you can, maybe you're working on the position that you want to be in. Some people actually put up a net and a mat in their garage and they 
um, you know, work on timing and tempo things. Um, it's a huge part of golf is sort of having the correct sequence of movements. And oftentimes people are, you know, get off kilter with those things. So it's a great time. You can just focus on that and work on that. Or it's not necessarily about watching the ball fly. It's about learning to again, move correctly as kind of as we started with. Excellent. Tom, uh, do you have any finishing questions? No, no. I think uh, this has been uh, really good. I think uh, having him back on to, again, get into uh, some uh, on-course development ideas is a great idea. Yeah. Tom, thank you so much for coming in today. Um, uh, if any of our viewers have any questions, feel free to drop us a line. You can contact me directly via email at jmorton at hagenoaks.com if you have any questions for Tom. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, uh, you can follow us on hazelrocketspodcast.com. And uh, we look forward to having you join us again. Great. Knowing that your office is just down the hall from mine. <laughs> That's correct. Um, and with that, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor, Morton Golf Sales. And uh, stay tuned. Thanks, everyone. Hey, Bill here. I wanted to pause real quick to thank our sponsor, MortonGolfSales.com. Morton Golf Sales is the number one online retailer for all your golfing needs. From the newest clubs on the market to the classics that you can't find anywhere else, Morton Golf Sales has the best products and customer service at the lowest possible prices. Want to check out their huge online inventory of clubs, clothing, golf balls, accessories, and save 12% on your first order? Just use coupon code ROCKETS at checkout on mortongolfsales.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Now, back to the show. Mom's Beef Hash has a first name, it's from a can we see. But we all have another name, we call it untasty. We hate to eat it every day. And but if you ask us why, we'll say. Cause Mama's Hash tastes like trash and we should feed it to the dog. Welcome to the Jack Burgeroni Experience. Welcome to Jack Bergeroni. Is this the week? No, this isn't the week. Quit asking. Wow. Yeah. All right, you 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 came up with our episode. What are we doing? All right, so this is probably a little more fashion forward than Bill and I usually are, you know, with our tan and gray What's fashion? black pants that we wear all the time. Which you're not even, you received a memo that you're not allowed to wear gray when you're sitting on the couch. So what do you wear every single week? Gray, gray. slacks. Yeah. Kind of out of spite. But so anyways, we are... And aren't you in the same exact outfit that you wore last week? You know what? Fashion yes. knows no bounds. Okay. All right. So we have a quiz ready to take for the three of us. It's going to ask us some, uh, a variety of different questions, but then it's supposed to tell us based on how we answer the questions and, um, you know, the kind of our uh, body types and skin and colors and all types. that kind of stuff. Body types. What color looks best on us? Based on our body type? I, I, well, let's see what the, what the question is. I'm so. afraid to put in an answer. It's going to tell me I look best in a moo moo. <laughs> <laughs> it just, okay, I just clicked it on the link you I sent us and it, and it came and up with gummy worms. No, multicolored Cheetos. <laughs> no? Okay. All right, first question right out of the gate is, first things first, you had this coming, what is your favorite color? Okay, so what is your favorite color? I'm playing purple. What is your favorite color? Blue. What about you, V? 
Mm, I love purple, blue, and black, and white. So what should I say? One favorite color. Blue. All right. You know. All right, Jen, next question. What color is your hair? Wait. What color is actually your hair? Or what color do you display your hair as? Yes, she looks blonde. I'm going to say light brown hair. All right, I have dark brown hair. Bill? Well, I'm Wait. like salt and pepper now. And what do you mean dark brown hair? What, what do you mean? Do you mean you <laughs> used to have hair? <laughs> yeah. So should I say other, I'm special, because I have salt and pepper hair now? No, or should I say you, brown? Brown? It's, yeah, my hair is brown. It's always, that's the color it actually was. Dark it's brown. Dark brown. All right. What am I putting? Black. <laughs> All right. What color eyes do you have? I have blue eyes. I have greenish eyes. Why does it say dark brown versus just brown? Well, people could have light brown. Well, our mine aren't light, right? Mine are brown. Yeah, you're brown. 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 All right. Question number four. What is your personality like? Oh First goodness. questions. I love music. Next one is I'm shy at school. Next one is I think we should all recycle. Clearly not Bill. Uh, next one is I love to have fun and I'm so funny. So I've That's heard. Me. Next one is look under what? Look under underwear. <laughs> you said underwear. And then the last one is I'm popular and have tons of friends. That is not me. So I'm into music. All right. I'm shy. I'm funny and I know it. So that's what I put. All right. All right. B number five. What do you like to do in your free time? Sing. La 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 la. That's Bill. Watch the clouds and dream. Painting is fun. Okay. Partay. Dance like it's my job. Going crazy. Listen to music. It's my life. Sometimes draw. Sometimes write. I like to garden and watch things grow. It's who I am. Naturally. Hmm. Mm. Music. Maybe Again? I like to watch the clouds. Or maybe I like to watch things grow. How come there's not a choice about watching Mandalorian on here? This is hard. Alright. I guess I'll do the same. I'll watch the clouds. What color is your skin? It's quite pale. Kenny, that's yours. <laughs> it's a pale medium. I think I'm pale medium. Medium, medium dark, more dark, dark brown, almost blackish. What am I? I guess I would be medium dark. You sound like a dark roasted coffee. I know, or like turkey, dark meat or white <laughs> meat. I'd be pale, I would be me medium. I'm going to say medium in the summer. All right. This is the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> All, right, All right, I got my answer. Would, what I got my answer too. You can start. What color looks best on you? Yellow. <laughs> Yellow. It's because you said your hair was. It's you like, should dress up as the Gorton Fisherman. Yeah, I should. <laughs> apparently. Have you ever worn yellow? I hardly ever wear yellow. Clearly, you've been dressing wrong all these years. Clearly, this is like the worst app I've ever seen. <laughs> this makes no sense. Why okay. is yellow? Yellow picked? is your color, the color of the sun, the stars, and bananas. Yellow. You love bananas! I, well, yes, I do. This app they're, is bananas. They're good for you, remember? Well, yeah, anyway. So oh my yellow, god, I just have to say, he has an entire diatribe on when is the proper time to eat a banana. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, yes. 
Yellow brightens the day, makes it happier, just like your personality. Okay, I get that. But that remember, yellow can wash you out if you have paler skin. Do not wear with red, pink, orange, or green. Remember not to only wear this color for the rest of your of your lives. Oh, How so many lives? Remember do you have? not to only wear this color for the rest of your lives. Change it up, dude. This was mainly for entertainment purposes. I'm highly entertained right yeah. now. Yeah. Good job, okay. Big Bird. All right, okay. thanks. Yes. All right, mine was blue. And if you ever saw my closet, it's like two-thirds blue. So. He looks amazing in blue because they match his eyes. And anytime nice. he wears blue, I mean, he is just on point. Yeah. And because he likes country music and it's always about the blues, right? Totally. So that, that has to yeah. be a part of it. So uh, cobalt blue is cool if you want to stand out. Light blue brings out your blue eyes. Blue's a color with many shades. Some are soft and sweet. Some just rock your socks off. Is that why you've worn that same blue shirt for the last six weeks in a row on our podcast? No, it's that my wife won't do my laundry. But no. uh, I still think I look good in blue. I'm not going to do your laundry. That's never happening. Yes. So. All right. What about you, Jen? What color? Orange, which is actually true. I do look good in orange. Really? Yeah. All right. And you don't think for? I look good in orange? <laughs> that was... <laughs> One of the more insulting noises I've ever heard. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> yeah. You look great in orange, Jennifer. You look good in orange. Yeah, though. just like the Oopaloopas. <laughs> wow, I'm going to wear orange next week if I remember just to prove all you guys are wrong. I'll be sure to compliment you. <laughs> <laughs> it says you look beautiful in orange. The color of oranges. This is for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> oranges are the color of oranges? Yeah. Wow. 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 Had, yeah. How do you spell orange? The word or the color? The color or the fruit? Or something like that. Yeah. Especially if you have blonde hair or brown hair, and it's the color of Which autumn. he has both. Yeah. It just depends on... The roots are the regular, <laughs> the regular hair. Yeah. The, the orange makes you look like you belong. What to what? <laughs> uh, even with other colored hair. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, do not wear with red, pink, yellow. So you and I can't be next to each other. Okay. Right. Maybe I'll break if, you up with some blue <clears throat> in the middle here. Maybe if it's an accessory or neon bright colors. Uh, remember to not only wear this color for the rest of your life. Change it. Oh, that's the end. Yeah. All right. So, thanks for not thinking I look good in orange. I no. didn't say that at all. <laughs> just, yeah, you look great in anything. Yeah. If you would like to take this test and see what colors that you look good in, um, you can go to quoteev.com and they have a quiz on there for you. I don't think uh, it's quote ev. I think it's quote v. No quote quote v dot com. Sure, and we'll uh, we'll put a link under the uh, uh, YouTube video here that you can go and take this super interesting quiz yeah, on your own. Too. Go to the first link that Kenny mentioned so that way you don't have to take this quiz. That's but anyway, all right. I thought it was fun, and I think Ken's is right, and I think mine is right. And Bill, I think if you had answered the color of your hair properly, then. Yours might have been right yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, and with that, we're going to bring this episode of Hazel Rockets Thank to a you. close. Um, be sure to check us out at hazelrocketspodcast.com. And? 
Follow us on whatever podcast stream that you like listening to. We're on all of them. Oh, okay. Um, or uh, check out our sponsor, Morton Golf Sales, where you can save uh, 12% on your first order with coupon code ROCKETS. And with that, we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.